Well, today, as I mentioned, we're looking at moulding a man for the ministry. This is going to happen to us through suffering, as it did to Paul. If you've been with us for the past year, most of last year, we were going through a series of knowing God and how to know God. We looked at knowing God through salvation and many of the doctrines that to do with salvation. Um, <clears throat> we looked at knowing God through transformation, through suffering. We have looked at this topic before, but not the Apostle Paul. We looked at God, knowing God through creation and his handiwork in the heavens, Psalm 139 and 19. We looked at knowing God through the scriptures and several sermons on that. And then knowing God through service, serving him and him meeting the needs. Knowing God through salvation, we went through the testimony of different people in the scriptures. And so this morning we continue in that thought, knowing God through suffering and being prepared for ministry. I did prepare this in late February, early March, but with the lockdown coming in and we've uh, changed tacked a little and gone on to some other sermons over the past few weeks. This man, Paul, fitted for service. How Saul the persecutor became the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> in our daily Bible reading, in our devotional called the feature of last series, on March the 4th, I read this, and you have read it if you've been faithful in reading them. The Lord himself prepared the unusual storm that we read about in Psalm 107. Its intensity was beyond anything previously experienced by the sailors, for their souls melted because of trouble. <clears throat> they reeled to and fro and staggered like a drunken man. Imagine these seamen struggling to maintain their footing on the deck in the wave-tossed ship. Their dire situation was out of their control, and they were fully aware that it was beyond their ability to remedy the desperate plight they were in. Does this situation sound familiar to us? Often the believer encounters problems that seem comparable to the tumult faced by these mariners. Just as the sailors had no control over the storm, so the troubled saint must recognise the fact that he is powerless in his own or to control his own situations. However, through believing prayer, God comes to the rescue. The mariners thought the face sought the face of the only one who could help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, it says. He bringeth them out of their distress. Gladness came to these sailors, and for good reason, God calmed the storm and brought them to safety. The purpose of the storm was to instruct the seamen not only to acknowledge the, the sovereign of the sea, but also to trust him in the face of any catastrophe as much as they trusted him when things were favourable and the wind was in their sails. Is God's deliverance and assurance available for our own troubled soul? Absolutely. A desperate situation will never be so hopeless that it puts us out of the reach of God's care and provision. When we are at our wit's end, as it says in verse 27, 
we are right where God wants us, ready to cry out to him for help, and only he can give that help. Have you been at your wit's end like those sailors? That's the reading from the daily Bible reading we have on the, from the 4th of the 3rd. Uh, <clears throat> he brought them to the desired haven. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God is bringing us to the desired haven he wants us to be at, to come to port, to do the business of the Lord in our lives. Well, we notice, first of all, and follow on the outline, Paul's past and present surveyed. It's a shameful past that Paul had. He wasn't proud of his past. But his supernatural present is seen also in the scriptures. Not only the past problems, but the supernatural present. And let me go through a few of these. Firstly, we will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, reading to verse 16. And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who hath enabled me in that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Nevertheless, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And so we see <clears throat> here that Paul recognised himself to be the chief of sinners. He, he, that's what he called himself, for what he had done, <clears throat> for how he had injured other people, how he had hurt Christians. That's what he was. That was his past. That is his shameful past. But as you look into the scripture and see his supernatural present given to us in Ephesians chapter 3 in verses 1 to 6, for this call I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's now in prison for Christ, not persecuting Christian. Christians. He's been persecuted. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me toward you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, by which when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Was it known in ages past, but now it is revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles shall be fellow heirs of the gospel of Christ. And so his shameful past, chief of sinners, his supernatural present, chief of salvation for sinners, he was leading the charge. He was the one that now was preaching that which he persecuted. And in Acts chapter 26, in the book of Acts chapter 26, there's a second point about Paul and his shameful past. In 26 and verses 4 and 5, we read, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, known or know all the Jews. They knew what Paul was like from a youth. He was enthusiastic for Judaism from his youth. And <clears throat> who, in verse 5, knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. 
you might say he was the strictest of the strict. He called the shots. He was a proud, self-righteous Pharisee. This also is revealed in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, and verses 5 and 6, where we read, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. So here he was, in, in this sort of person, from his youth, from the youngest days, he was a very keen individual in the law, learnt at the feet of Gamaliel. But he became the submissive servant of the Lord. What a change in his life. And that's revealed in Acts 9, 6, Philippians chapter 2, where he talks about humility. And so from this proud, self-righteous Pharisee to a submissive servant. Thirdly, an arrogant antagonist of truth. He didn't like the truth. He didn't like it being preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, we read there Acts 9.20. And straightway he preached, and this is down to verse 22, he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of man. And we'll be looking at this a little later. But all that heard him were amazed. And said, is not this he who destroyed them, who called on this name in Jerusalem? He might come here for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that he was the very Christ. This man that God was going to mold for the ministry was an arrogant antagonist of the truth of the gospel. But then he became the trumpeter of truth. Isn't this the fellow that did that to the church and persecuted them? Look at him now. What's he preaching? How could it happen so quick? His shameful past and his supernatural present completely changed. Salvation changes an individual. We might say he was the Sanhedrin stalwart, the one who stood up and stood up for them. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, we read, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so he was once a soldier for the Sanhedrin. He led the charge. He was the chief persecutor. He was the one to whom it was given to capture, imprison and kill Christians. Then he became supernaturally the saviour's soldier as we just read in second timothy battling for the truth and challenged timothy to do the same he was an opinionated legalist and you'll notice the difference between his shameful past this is what living under the law produces in a person's life his supernatural presence this is what living by love produces there's the contrast between the two an opinionated legalist who became the apostle of grace. Law and grace. What a contrast. And it was an instant change for Paul when he became a Christian. He, according to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, Philippians 3 and verse 6, concerning zeal, we mentioned it before, persecuting the church. He consented unto the murder of Christians. But then he became, according to Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, the missionary to the Gentiles. 
he in Acts chapter 9 is spoken about in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 and 2. And Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of them letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, if he found any of this way, Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Yes, he was the hunter. Hunter, gathering Christians for persecution, for execution. And verse 13 and 14 say the same in Acts chapter 9. But then it all changed in Acts chapter 23, Acts 23 and verse 12. We read this. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than 40 who had made this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and, and we, we see, we know the story and how Paul escaped from this. But he was the hunter of this sect, of this way, of these Christians, to being the hunted. He had an advantage in that he knew what they, their tactics because he, he taught them. He was one, one of them. He was a church wrecker, we might say. In Acts chapter 22, in Acts chapter 22, verses 4 and 5, we read there, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders from whom I receive letters unto the brethren, went to Damascus to bring them who were there bound unto Jerusalem to be punished. Yes, he was a church wrecker. Can you imagine? As he went into homes, and took the mums and took the dads away from the children and all the pain and the suffering. And he was beating them at the same time and all the confusion the children left on their own. And he was doing this to many people. He had no heart. You know, a person that lives by the law hasn't a heart. Hasn't a heart. A person that lives by love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, totally different. But he was a church wrecker. And then he became a church planter. What a difference, a supernatural change. Wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. He did three missionary journeys. He planted churches all over the known world of the time. He was obstinate, stubborn, a Christ hater. He became an obedient, submissive Christ lover. He was feared, opinionated and persecuted. But then he became a persuasive, passionate preacher, according to the verse we looked at in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Uh, <clears throat> Harsh legalist. The letter killeth. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. But the spirit giveth life. That's the difference. His shameful past to his supernatural present. A harsh legalist to becoming a humble and holy servant of the Lord. So that's Paul's past and present surveyed quickly. And you can read verses that might be that are in the outline there. Then we see Paul's successes <clears throat> counted not by his victories, but by his defeats, by his death to self. Listen to these verses and we'll go quickly through this point. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I die daily. He had to die to the old way of life, to the old man that he still had. And you read Romans 7, he still had an old man. When I would do good, evil is present with me. 
how to perform that which is good, I find not. I find then a law, and you read through that chapter, he died daily, and we need to, as Christians, die daily. Let's count our successes by our death to self and death to what we want, and not by the victories of gaining something physical. In Philippians 1.21, Paul said, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. <laughs> and that through life. To die is gain. To die to my ambitions. To, to die to my goals. To live for the Lord Jesus. Laying up treasures in heaven. Setting our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Colossians 3. In 1 Corinthians 9.27 I bring my body into subjection. We could look at these. We haven't time. I bring my body into subjection. And there <clears throat> it's like He's saying, I give my body a knockout punch. Sometimes the body, the old flesh, wants to have its way and have its way forcefully. And he said, I have to give it a knockout blow to bring it into subjection and stop thinking that way and start thinking the right way because that thoughts will lead to actions. And my actions will show where my thoughts are, my heart is. And so <clears throat> bring his body into subjection. No, before that, he just did what he pleased according to the law. And in Philippians 3.10, we read there, <clears throat> being made conformable unto his death. He counted, Paul, Paul's successes were counted not by his victories, but by his defeats, by death to self. Being made conformable unto his, the Lord's, death. And looking at the Lord and reading of his ministry, and I was, I was talking to someone yesterday about <laughs> have. Did Paul see the Lord Jesus Christ doing ministry? Doesn't say, it doesn't say yes or no. But he was around Jerusalem. Paul was around Jerusalem. But um, <clears throat> the Lord, he learned from the Lord in how that he need to give the old body the death blow, be made conformable to his death, and that we as Christians need to always do, being made conformable to his death. Oh, it would be nice to do that, but it's better to serve and please the Lord. And in Philippians 3.8 there, I do count things as dung that I might win Christ. That's not the complete verse, but he counted the things, the attainments of life, the degrees that he had, the possessions that he might have had as nothing, as dung actually, that he might win Christ. He said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Galatians 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I am crucified with Christ, <laughs> dying daily as we started with. Uh, I pray that we begin to learn this. If we're going to be moulded for ministry as individuals, as Christians, it'll be through suffering and it'll be through dying to self. Crucified with Christ. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, when a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself and the truth is not in him. Anything that we become, anything that we do that's of eternal value will be of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his power, not through us and through our flesh. 
and so much work, even in our own lives, we can look back and say, that was done in the flesh. That was done in the power of my own mind and not in the power and strength of the Lord. And we got the glory and not the Lord. Another reference in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, when you're weak, then I can empower you with my strength to do my work. Successes counted not by victories, but by our death to self and our defeats. And Paul got to that in 2 Corinthians 12, and he's saying, Lord, just change this situation. And the Lord said, no, no, you, you, my power will be manifest through you by your weaknesses, not by your strengths. Remember what Jesus said. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he, uh, he, he cuts off and he burns. But everyone that is in me, in John chapter 15, to bring forth more fruit, he purges it, he prunes it. Just like we do the grapevine or, or the roses, we, we prune it so that next year it will bring forth fruit or flowers. And so the Lord allows this and does this to and for us. Thirdly, Paul, Paul's salvation testimony. And let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> book of Acts chapter 9 and we'll read this portion of scripture and go through it quickly. And see how things so changed in his life. We have Paul's testimony given in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. He got saved on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. It's given again in chapter 22 of Acts and verses 1 to 21 before an angry mob at Jerusalem that wanted to lynch him. He was saved by the Roman soldiers. Um, <clears throat> in chapter 26, he gives his testimony before Agrippa and Festus. And in chapter 24, verse 24 to 25, he gives his testimony before Felix. And so his salvation testimony is given over and over again. And what God had done through or to him and for him and through him is given. We need to be able to share our testimony as Paul did before kings, before people, before people who are poorer or richer and whoever. He be, Paul became all things to all men. That doesn't mean he compromised, but he realised where people were at and ministered to their spiritual needs from that point. They could understand him, and he did this before many as he gave his testimony. Well, here we have in Acts chapter 9, Paul sharing his testimony. This is the real thing. This is when it happened. This is, this is the account of his salvation. We first of all see uh, Saul, Saul's vindictive vindicativeness against the saints of God and Saul as we've read before yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way that he might whether they be men or women he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem and so he had a vindicativeness against the saints of God he hated this way 
still the same in Israel. If you mention the name of the Lord Jesus to a person that is orthodox, many of them get very upset very quickly. Very quickly. And they respond vindicatively against you. And they were against the saints of God then. Paul was against the saints of God. I pray that we don't have this attitude toward our fellow Christian. We see Saul's vision of the Son of God as he went with these letters up to Damascus. Well, down from Jerusalem and then up to Damascus through the Jordan Valley. And crossed over there. I remember driving through that valley and up the other side to Golan Heights. And then looking out toward that area. Uh, when we were over there in the Middle East, in, in Israel. But we see here, Paul had the vision of the Son of God. Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell onto the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the goats. The vision of the Son of God. Can you remember the day that the light shone around you? That the light of the Lord Jesus came into your heart and you were born again. Unless you have the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shine upon your heart and soul, you can't be saved Unless you have the light of the Lord Jesus himself come in, you can't be saved. In the Gospel of John in chapter 1, <clears throat> it reads there about the Lord Jesus when it's explaining him there as the Word. And the Word was made flesh. We read in chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. The light of the Lord shone about Paul on the road to Damascus. And the darkness could not comprehend. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. In verse 6 and then 7, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And so John the baptizer said, He is the light of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Go to him. He's got the light. I'm not worthy to unloose his shoelaces. He was not the light. John was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He, the light, was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own Jews received him not. But as many as received him, as Paul did that day when the light shone about him, it took a miracle, it took this light to break the stubborn, hard-hearted, Saul to become the mighty servant Paul. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians 3 verse 8 tells us, Ye were once darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so we see in his salvation testimony how he <laughs> saw the light. Have you seen the light? Are you still walking in darkness? Has the gospel become part of your life? As the Lord Jesus, through his spirit, living in you, as we've looked at in past weeks. So we had a vision of the Son of God. It's hard for thee to kick against the goads. If you're listening, 
And you've been in services or you've read the Bible or tracks before when God's spirit is striven with your spirit. And you start kicking against it and saying, no, 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 I'm not going to believe it. I won't believe it. You're doing what Paul did. Why don't you just surrender and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and, and see the light? It's going to affect you for eternity. Where you spend eternity is if you say yes to the Lord Jesus. I see what you've done. I see you are the light. I see that I'm a sinner. I see that I need salvation and I need you. Please, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me from my sin. Why don't you? As the Lord comes and knocks on your heart's door and don't kick against the goads. It's like <clears throat> I've likened this to when you've got those prodders for the cows and getting them up the ramp into the truck they don't want to go or in some other area where you're trying to move them on and you give them a, give them a, a, a shock, electric shock and you see them lash out with their, with their legs. You don't stand behind them when you do it. But you see, this is what Paul was doing. Paul knew who Jesus was. He knew the Old Testament. He was well studied in that. He had learnt all this. Maybe you've been raised in a Christian home. You know the things of God, but you're fighting against it. Give up fighting and surrender to the Lord as he shines that light upon you. And then <clears throat> Saul was visited by the servant of God in verses 10 to 19. Well, let's read from verse 6. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And so <clears throat> he knew who it was. He knew who he was kicking against. Lord, what will thou have me to do? And he was, what a, what a change. What an instant. Salvation is instant. It's, salvation is not a, a, a process. Salvation is instant. Now, sanctification, progressive sanctification, is a progress. We are a work in progress. We are diamonds in the rough being, being made to be diamonds in, in a ring or whatever. But here we, we continue to read. And the other people saw, heard a voice, but saw no man. And Saul arose in verse 8 from the earth. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. And then we come to see where Saul's visited by the servant of the Lord in verse 10 down through to verse 19. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him were the, <coughs> said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into a street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth. I like the wording of this. <laughs> Go to a street that is called straight. <laughs> hey, when you become a Christian, you're on the street that's called straight. It's called in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, the straight and narrow way that leads unto the celestial city. Prior to that, you're on the broad road that leads to destruction. And so we see this in the, even in the story here now. It's just happened to be called the street straight. But I think we can say, yes, he was on the right path. Are you on the right path? 
have you come to the straight and narrow road? You know, it looks like everybody's going in the right way. Everybody's enjoying themselves. But at the end of it, they fall off into the precipice of hell. Find the street that's called straight, which is the straight and narrow way. And we read on in verse 12. And he, Paul, has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority. He'd already heard that he was coming to his town, to Damascus, from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel, and praise the Lord that Ananias had faith to believe what he was told. And uh, he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Moulding a man for the ministry. How great things he must suffer for my name's sake. That God might get the glory. And so he was visited here by the servant of the Lord. And Ananias, in verse 17, went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. How would you be if you were Ananias? He'd already said, Lord, I know about this man and what he's done. And go in there and put your hands on this man that had murdered Christians, that had consented unto the death of many, that had consented unto the death of Stephen, in fact, the first martyr of the church, and say, Brother you know, when a person gets saved from a, a, a bad background, we might hesitate, and, and some did. But Ananias had the faith that he had, and he said, Brother, it would have been hard to call a person a brother that had slain your fellow Christians and put them in prison and tormented them. But there, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. And so we see here... <clears throat> He visited by the servant of the Lord. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest. He has sent me, and thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received his sight and arose and was baptized. (laughs) Paul didn't mess around. He knew, because he was kicking against the ghost, he knew it was already truth. When he got saved, it was right on, full on. And uh, the scales fell off. He he went and got baptized in obedience to what the Lord had commanded. Yes, go ye into all the world and teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Visited by a wonderful servant of the Lord. Received meat and was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples who were at Damascus. Imagine the rejoicing. Imagine the relief. Imagine the servants of the Lord in Damascus and the word sent back to Jerusalem, you know, the post, the runner, go, tell them, Saul has got saved. This persecutor is now a Christian. He voiced his belief then in the synagogue of God about the Son of God in verse 20 and 22. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. Paul knew his Old Testament. He could go back there to all that learning he had at Gamaliel and other people from a young man, as we saw earlier, and draw on that. 
You know, a, a person that's been in religion all his life then gets saved, has a background of all the truths of God's word. Paul had that background. And he was able to draw on that and prove, increasingly so, that Jesus was the son of the eternal son of God. Jesus was their Messiah. And so he, he voiced his belief in the synagogue of God about the Son of God. But in verse 21, all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them who called on this name in Jerusalem and came here to the intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. And I think as time went on and as he looked in his Old Testament more and more, and it wasn't a long time, he just it all fell into place. The jigsaw came together and he voiced his belief and, preach, and preached it. He, he did this publicly. He, didn't, he was up there and he wasn't ashamed and he, he wasn't scared of making a mistake. <laughs> he went for it. Verse 23 to 26, he visited the saints of God in Jerusalem. After certain days, many, <clears throat> many, after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill Paul. And their lying in wait was known by Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Hmm. Maybe some of the same men he went to Damascus to capture the, capture the Christians with were ones who wanted to now kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and <clears throat> let him down by the wall in a basket. Huh. And he went and Saul was come to Jerusalem, verse 26. He essayed to join himself to the disciples and they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They thought, oh, well, he's just he's pretending. He's trying to get the names. He's trying to get us who, who we are. Uh, and so he can come in and, and do what he's done in the past to us. They knew about him. And so he visited the saints at Jerusalem and they were afraid. But he was validated by the statesman of God in verse 26. He is validated by the servant of the Lord <coughs> who took him under his wing and his name was Barnabas in verse 27, took him and brought him to the apostles. You see, this is the moulding and making of a minister that went to the whole world to preach the gospel and plant churches and get the church going in Europe and all around the world. What, what a man. And, and Barnabas was the one that took him under his wing and brought him into the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and how he had spoken of him <clears throat> and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spoke bold, boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. He was a marked man. Uh, marked by the Lord for ministry, but marked by the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin for martyrdom. He marked man to kill him. The salvation testimony. Paul was not ashamed of the truth of God's word. He was, as we've seen, boldly speaking about the gospel. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it tells us <coughs> here about how much he valued and voiced the gospel of God. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He valued the gospel. He knew it made a difference. He knew in his own life, his testimony of salvation, that the gospel makes a difference. And he was not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 
As much as in me is, he said in verse 15, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He wasn't ashamed of it. He was bold about it. And we could go and we haven't time to Romans 10 verse 8 and 15 and chapter 15 verse 16 and 19 and chapter 1 Corinthians 1 17 where he spoke about the gospel and how he declared it. It was all that he was concerned about in planting the seed of the gospel in the lives of many people. And he said in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is me. It's my ministry. It's my life. It changed me. I'm going to heaven when I was there, going to hell, trying to keep the law. He declared it to be <coughs> the death, the burial and the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. And we have in the book of Romans... <laughs> Paul put the seed of the gospel through the doctrinal teachings in the book of Romans. There he said in chapter 3, verse 23, <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he brought everyone as a sinner before Almighty God in the first three chapters. Chapter 6 and verse 23, we see the consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, judgment on sin. We're all sinners. Judgment's going to come. The wages is death. And then in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, we read, <clears throat> But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, introducing the gospel, the solution to the sin problem, the virus of sin in our lives. And then he was able to say later on in chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess, and you can put your name in there, that if thou, sh thou shalt confess the, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a promise from God. And so the gospel is seeded through the doctrinal teachings of the greatest of books, I think, the book of Romans that Paul wrote there. And he was careful to bring it in. In t talking about doctrine, he still introduced the gospel and how to become a Christian. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Just as he said, Lord, who art thou? <laughs> I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He knew how it worked. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between Jew, Greek, the same Lord over all is rich unto all them that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the testimony of salvation. Have you a testimony? Can you share that the light has shone on you and that you are saved? And <clears throat> this evening we'll begin to look at some terrible things that Paul went through because he was a Christian and he was determined to preach and minister the word of God at all costs for the glory of God. <clears throat> At this time, we'll be having this hymn 209, Grace That Is Greater Than All My Sin. And for the announcements, look at the WhatsApp and we'll give them this evening. So 209, Grace That Is Greater. Thank you. God bless.